verses 12 through 27, and it can be found on page 1,785 in your pew Bibles. One body, many parts. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ears should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Thank you, Christy. Just a reminder of the outline in the bulletin, if that's helpful for you to follow. But before we start, let's just take time of silent prayer and prepare our hearts to uh, reflect on God's word. Let's pray. Amen. In the year 2004, <clears throat> First Reformed Church did its first 40 days campaign. And that campaign was entitled The Purpose Driven Life. The big idea of the campaign was that God has made us for His glory. And we bring Him glory when we fulfill five purposes to know and love God, which we call worship, to be part of God's family, which we call fellowship, to become more like Jesus, which we call discipleship, and that each of us are uniquely shaped to do what we call ministry. 
and that we are to pass on what we know and what we've learned, which is called mission. And when we fulfill these purposes in our lives, we are finding our purpose, and we are actually practicing what we are going to be doing for eternity. In the Purpose Driven Life campaign, the emphasis was on what on earth am I here for? The 40 Days of Community campaign, which will start next Sunday, has the theme, what on earth are we here for? All of these purposes that God gives us are meant to be fulfilled in the context of community, in the context of people. Actually, we cannot fulfill God's purposes without God's family. <clears throat> and why? Because God has made us to love. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything hangs on those two commandments. And friends, we cannot learn how to love alone. You can't learn how to love in isolation by yourself. 1 Corinthians 12.27 says, You are the body of Christ, and each one is part of it. Each one. To belong to Jesus is to belong to his body. It's to belong to the church, the family of believers. To be a Christian and not participate in God's family is like saying, I'm a football player, but I don't belong to any team. That doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense to be disconnected from the body of Christ. Now, in the 40 days of community, the theme is how do we do it better together? On Sunday mornings, the preaching will be on, from the book of Philippians. And in the daily devotionals, there are 40 one-anothers from the Bible. And the small groups will study 1 Corinthians 13. What we want to learn in this campaign is how to be better at loving one another and loving people in our community. God is love. 1 Corinthians 13 says there's faith and there's hope and there's love and the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest? Because it lasts forever. Faith will be fulfilled when we're in heaven. Our hope will be fulfilled when we're in heaven. But love will continue forever. So we want to practice what we're going to be doing in eternity. Now essentially there are two goals. To deepen our love within the church and to express our love by reaching out in our community. There's five reasons we need each other that I'm going to outline, <clears throat> excuse me, and review today <clears throat> as we anticipate starting next week. The first reason that we need each other is that we fellowship better together. 
We fellowship better together. This is modeled to us by the early church in Acts 2, where it says, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. These people came together, they lived together, they shared together, they worked together. Someone has said that we need to be as committed to each other as we are to Jesus. This is God's ideal for his church. But I think we all know that just being part of a church or joining a church is not a guarantee of fellowship. There are people who belong to church all their lives and never experience deep, meaningful relationships. Because it doesn't just happen. We have to learn how to build into each other's lives. We have to learn and be intentional with relating to each other. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. This is something we have to make effort to do. Now, when we talk about fellowship, there's different levels in which we relate to each other. One level is we socialize together. We have conversations on all kinds of subjects. Today, we're going to be talking about football. We're going to be talking about snowstorms. We talk about stuff. But we also connect by studying together learning together in groups the truth of God's Word. Serving together is a way that we partner in practical ways to develop a sense of teamwork. But the deepest level of fellowship is when we suffer together, when we share the pain and problems in our journey with each other, when we pray with each other, and when we bear one another's burdens. These kind of connections do not happen in a crowd. You can't fellowship with a crowd. That's why we need to be in clusters, to be in small groups with each other. Even Jesus needed small group fellowship. He had that with the disciples, and it even got smaller with Peter and James and John. So the goal here is stated in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, where Paul says, follow the way of love. Or, in another translation, make love your aim. Make love your target. So for 40 days, we want to concentrate on learning how to love one another. A second reason we need each other is that we worship better together. There are things that we do together in worship that we cannot experience privately. The Bible commands us to get together on a weekly basis to worship Him. Uh, Leviticus 23.3 says there are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. We are to assemble on this sacred day. And Jesus taught that we do this for our sake. 
The Sabbath was made for man, he said, not man for the Sabbath. Worshiping together, it recharges us in ways that we can't do on our own, that we can't do with recreation or sports or sleeping in or whatever. The Bible says that worshiping together increases our joy. Psalm 68 verse 4, sing to the Lord, sing praises to his name, and rejoice before him. Underline the word rejoice. We're meant to enjoy worship and enjoy God and enjoy each other. I want to try something here and to try to illustrate this. Leslie, would you, would you clap? Okay, now would the two of you clap? Okay, then the whole row. To the next row. The next section. The whole section. The whole church. Thank you. Do you feel that inspiration, the difference from one clap to all of us clapping? When we do it together, we're inspired. I, I'll never forget the, one of the most powerful memories for me was going to a Promise Keepers convention in the Met, old Metrodome in Minneapolis and singing with 65,000 men. Inspirational. Worshiping with each other also enlarges our perspective. <clears throat> All of us come here with burdens. We come here with problems and trials and when we gather corporately, and when we sing and when we pray and share, God gets bigger. And He gets bigger than our problems. In Psalm 73, David writes, When I tried to understand all this, suffering and injustice, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Worshiping with others gives us a new outlook. It brings a new perspective. And of course, worshiping together helps us believe. It encourages our faith. We actually witness to one another when we're here in worship. So how committed are you to Sunday assembly? Do you only come when it's convenient? When there's nothing else going on, we do it better together. But there's more. We also grow spiritually better together. We grow better together. We all grow in ways with each other that we cannot grow on our own. Now Paul uses the physical body illustration in 1 Corinthians 12. He also uses it in Ephesians 3. He says, from him, meaning Jesus, the whole body joined together and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. God wants us as individuals and as a church to grow together. Again, you cannot grow to spiritual maturity 
without the body of Christ. You can gain in knowledge on your own. You can gain in doctrine. You can grow an individual prayer life. But you cannot grow in love without relationships. You cannot build relationships if you're not part of God's community. There are things that we cannot learn about life and about God unless we're connected with the family. We learn patience. We learn kindness. We learn unselfishness. We learn forgiveness. We learn humility. So the first step to spiritual growth is being part of God's family. We grow together. We grow together when we accept one another. The church should be the most accepting place on the planet. Romans 15, 7 says, Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. This doesn't mean we approve of everything that everybody does. But we accept each other where we're at and then empower each other to grow. We learn to affirm and encourage each other in the church, to build one another up. The Christian family is a place to get feedback, to give input, to be mentored, to be coached, and to share our experiences together so that we can mature in love. The mark of spiritual maturity is love. To grow in love, we have to be in relationships. And that's a choice. That's a choice. We decide to do it or not to do it. And then fourthly, we serve better together. We serve better together. There's obviously many ways we serve better as a team, as a group. For a team to function, it must be on the same page. It must have the same goals, the same focus. Philippians 2 first two um, uh, verses admonish us, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort in his love, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Now each of us are shaped uniquely for ministry. We've talked about this shape idea. We have spiritual gifts. We have heart passion. We have natural abilities. We have unique personalities. And E, we have unique experiences in life. And all of those serve to show us where our fit is to, to minister. But when we're going to make the most impact when we pool all of our gifts and abilities and do it together. In our scripture in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the body having many parts and how all the parts have to work together. The eye, the hand, the ear, and they're, they're all arranged to function. And they, they will be more effective together. They will get more done together. We can multitask together. We can compensate for each other's weaknesses together. 
I am so grateful for the staff that I work with and with the consistories that I have worked with and with many of you volunteer who compensate for my weaknesses. We, we work together. Jesus understood this. He sent the disciples out in pairs, two by two, to share the good news, to spread the kingdom. We, we, we give support when we're discouraged. You know, we don't, when we serve, I don't have to have all the gifts. I don't have to have all the talents. Because when we work together, they'll all be there. We offer each other practical help and assistance. Galatians 6.2 says, help carry one another's burdens. You know, most of us serve in small ways. We serve in small ways. We aren't on the stage. We aren't doing big, impressive things. But when we do it all collectively, we make an impact. We share our resources with each other. And we don't do it for personal recognition. We do it in love for the glory and purposes of God. 3 John 1.5 says, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. Someday, we'll meet the people that we have impacted. When we're in heaven, we will learn how we affected people's faith and their lives. And fifthly and finally, we reach out better together. Living in Northwest Iowa, we all know that one single snowflake is pretty frail and harmless. But as we will probably find out later today and tomorrow, when snowflakes come and stick together, they can shut down the whole region. Philippians 1.27 says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Now, one of the purposes of the church is to reach people beyond our walls and to share with them the good news we have about a resurrected Savior and the hope of salvation and of eternal life. And we will do that most effectively together. The small groups that are part of the campaign and the other small groups that we have in our congregation are places to invite unchurched friends to share in this experience. 99% of unchurched people are not going to come to this church building to a worship service because it's uncomfortable. They have no idea what it will be like. They don't know what they're supposed to do or what's required, even how should they dress how do you act? It's really uncomfortable. But they will be willing to come to a small group, to come to somebody's home. In the Gospel of Mark, there's this story of four men who carry a paralyzed friend on a mat. Obviously, the guy can't walk, and so they, they take him some distance to a house where they hear that Jesus is teaching and the house is, is so crowded they can't get in. So they go up on the roof. There was probably a stairway to the roof. 
and they remove some tiles and they get some ropes and they lower their friend down right in front of Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus, you know, everybody gasps and there's probably dust flying all over. And Jesus is so impressed. He's so impressed with the, the faith that these guys have and the devotion that they have for their hurting friend. He forgives the man's sin and he heals him of his paralysis. Well, church, there are so many people who are paralyzed by fear, by addictions, by guilt and shame. They need Jesus. And it took four men to bring the paralyzed man to Christ. Each one carried a corner of the mat. They did it as a team. And that's how we're to do it. How we introduce people to Jesus. There are those gifted with hospitality. You can be a host. You can, you can invite people in. You, there are people gifted as listeners and f with friendship who can connect with people. There's those who are gifted with sharing, who know how to articulate the gospel. So we work together to bring Jesus to people who need him. This is what the church is all about. Whatever other things we've grown up with about church need to be looked through the lenses of these purposes. We can only learn community by being in community. We fulfill the purposes of God's church together. Christianity is a team sport. We fellowship better together. We worship better together. We grow better together. We serve better together. And we reach out and share our faith better together. And I don't believe that God has brought any of us here at First Reformed Church just to watch, just to be a spectator. All of us are here to make it happen, to be involved, because you're gifted and you are shaped. God made you for five purposes that will bring him glory, but purposes that are meant to be completed as we do it together. This is what the kingdom of God is about. Governments are going to come and go. Political parties are going to come and go. Dynasties will rise and fall. Civilizations will develop and then disintegrate. But the kingdom of God and the Christian church will continue forever. And we have 2,000 years of history to prove that. There is no greater group and no greater movement, no matter how awkward it may seem, no matter how many times it fails, it is unstoppable. There is no greater power. The kingdom of God has invaded Satan's territory. And what the kingdom does is reclaim people that have been taken hostage by sin and lies. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. In other words, the church will storm the gates of hell. I know there's a lot of football frenzy right now. People are pretty excited about the playoffs. 
Who's going to win? I want my team to win. Let me tell you, if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and if he defeated the grave, there is no question that his church, his body of believers, is history's winning team. And the winning play is the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10 says, He made known to us the mystery of His will, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment. And that is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. So, when the time is right, God says He's going to bring all of His people and all of His purposes together and gather us for a new heaven and a new earth. And nothing can stop it. You may know all of this this morning, but do you believe it? You may know it, but do you believe it? There's a difference between knowing something and believing it. Do you truly believe that Christ is conquering the gates of hell and he's doing it through his church? We're not created just for ourselves. We are here to bring glory to our creator. And we do that by fulfilling his purposes together. This campaign is an opportunity for us to prepare and to practice being together with God and with each other, now and forever. Let's pray. Lord, I'm sure there are times all of us have uh, questioned why you chose to create the church and fulfill your will through us broken, recovering sinners with all of our inadequacies and our flaws, our unbelief, our failures and slip-ups. We thank you for your grace. And we acknowledge that whatever, whatever is done through the church that brings you glory, boy, it's due to you, and we give you the praise. So we declare our dependence upon you we humble ourselves before you, thanking you for your love, for choosing us, for your grace, for keeping us in our salvation, and for gifting us and using our life experiences and our personalities to be your church and to extend your kingdom. So Lord, help us arrange our priorities. We pray for this campaign, for its effectiveness <clears throat> to do that, and that we will uh, focus on one purpose with one mind uh, for your calling. So thank you for how you will do that. Bless the small groups, bless the Sunday services and the special events. Um, yeah, Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us. In, in the name of Jesus, amen.